Welcome to today's Community Cast. My name is Matt Morgan. I'm the pastor at Community Brookside, a new church plant in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We are so blessed by your presence, and we hope that today's content will bring you joy. So we are still fully following what's going on after the resurrection, right? So Easter Sunday has come, and here we are. We're not just one week later. We're now two weeks later. Do you feel different? Do you feel like you're kind of getting back into routine? Like, right, we have this, this high at Easter time, and then we have the week after. And so, you know, we're, we're still kind of, we're still a little excited, but then, you know, the, the next week comes, and we're still a little bit further removed. My prayer for us is that we remain Easter people, that we have a reason to celebrate every day, not just on Easter Sunday. So here we are, we're still following Jesus after Easter, and and so I've got to ask you guys a question. Is there somebody in your life that as of right now, in this moment, you still have not forgiven? No, I don't want to know names, and I don't want to know situations, I don't want to know the circumstances, but I want you guys to ask yourselves the question, is there somebody that I've not let go of something about? Forgiveness is important, and oftentimes forgiveness acts more on us than it does on the people that we need to forgive, right? When we hold grudges, when we hold on to the hurt or the areas of our lives that somebody has caused us trauma in, areas that we've been impacted in, sometimes we keep ourselves in a a kind of spiritual prison. So today I want us to focus on what Jesus did Uh, through the life of Peter and what forgiveness really looks like and how we're called to accept and offer forgiveness always to all people. So the last couple of weeks, we followed the events of that first Easter, right? We got to see how Jesus shows up in the lives of the people who need him most, starting with the encounter at the tomb when Jesus shows up to to Mary Magdalene and reveals himself to her. And then later on, uh, Jesus shows up to Cleopas and the other disciple who are walking to Emmaus. And then he shows up in the locked upper room. But today I want to talk about probably the person who most needed Jesus to show up and offer forgiveness. And that person is Peter. Simon Peter, one of the first disciples, right? So we've talked a lot about Peter in the past. We've done a whole sermon series on the life of Peter, uh, you know, a couple years ago, and you can always go back and search that in our forums if you ever want to relook that up uh, on Facebook. But most of us kind of at least know who Simon Peter is, right? He's one of Jesus' first disciples. He's actually the first name of a first disciple in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, Um, he's the first person to drop everything that he has and begin to follow Jesus. And the first time we hear about Simon Peter, it's in the book of Matthew chapter four. And I want to kind of remind us, if you weren't here for that, that, uh, the, the sermon series on Simon Peter, we're going to kind of touch some points in Peter's life along the way to finding out how Jesus really restores Peter. So here's what scripture says for us today in Matthew 4, 18 through 20. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. So just a simple kind of introductory verse here. It says that the the man who was known as Simon, 
became Jesus' first and closest follower, his, one of his best friends in all the world. And Jesus, Jesus basically renamed him Peter. So it says Simon called Peter, but there's this whole beautiful story about how Jesus begins to change Simon's name from Simon to Peter. And it's a really great story. And, and I think that there's a lot of uh, things that we miss when we only speak in English. How many of you guys only speak English? Is it your only language? Anybody speak any other languages outside of English? A little bit of Dutch? What, what is your other language? A little bit of Spanish? A bit of Spanish? Uh, similar, kind of a little bit of Spanish? What? Spanish. Spanish. Okay, so good. Spanish and Dutch, I think, are our two only languages here. Uh, how many of you have ever spoken Aramaic or... Ancient Greek, right? No, none of us. Oh, really? Like, no, okay, he's joking. All right. Um, so these are languages that have a lot of intrinsic value for us because our scriptures were written in either ancient Hebrew or a lot of times in ancient Greek. Like, so the New Testament we know was basically written mostly in uh, ancient Greek. Um, and it was transliterated from the spoken language of the day. So Jesus didn't speak Greek so much. He spoke Aramaic, which was kind of this... Uh, common day Hebrew, Hebrew-esque language, right? So they spoke Aramaic, but their words when they were written down were written in Greek. So there's like, we now are at least two languages removed from the ancient texts. And so when we hear about how Jesus changed Simon's name from Simon to Peter, we have to do this whole like uh, kind of Bible study in this whole, uh, um, you know, word study on ancient Greek and Aramaic. So we'll do that here in just a second, but we're going to hear kind of the story of how Peter gets his name changed to Peter. And this comes from the book of Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. And you can follow along on the screen. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Peter's recognition of Jesus truly is what makes Peter's faith evident. And it shows Jesus that Peter has what it takes to be the man on whom Jesus can trust to build his church. And in this moment, Jesus changes Simon's identity to Peter. And the biblical story here is one that we don't get the full meaning of because we don't speak the Greek and the Aramaic. So we're going to go back and we're going to kind of learn about this. So here Jesus, and we have it written down that Jesus calls him Peter. But in the original Aramaic, which Jesus would have been speaking, the word would have sounded completely different, right? So we know that there are different scriptures throughout the New Testament that call uh, Peter either Simon, Simon Peter, or Cephas, right? You've heard him referred to as Cephas, everybody? Some yes, some no. So Cephas is actually probably closest to the original Aramaic meaning, and it comes from the, uh, the, the, the word kepha. 
K-E-P-H-A. So Kepha would have been a transliteration to Greek, which would have been Cephas. It's just this whole weird situation. So if you take the literal Aramaic, Kepha becomes Cephas. Now, here's where we get weird, right? Because in the Greek, which is the written language of the day, the same word for rock, which is Kepha, everybody say that with me, Kepha, Kepha in Aramaic, the same Greek word in Greek is Petros, right? We've heard that word before. Everybody say Petros. So Petros means rock in Greek. Kepha means rock in Aramaic. So Kepha equals Cephas. Petros equals Peter. So we have Simon Peter as translated by transliterated and then translated from the Aramaic to the Greek and then into the English. So we've got this kind of Anglicized Petros, but it would have sounded like this. So there's a man named Stephen Ray who's a pastor and he's the author of a couple books. Uh, three of his most popular are St. John's Gospel, Upon This Rock, and Crossing the Tiber, right? And he relates how this would have sounded to Jesus' hearers but we're going to Anglicize some of it for us today. He would have said this to Simon. He would have said, you are Kepha, and on this Kepha, I will build my church. That's how it would have been spoken. And I don't know the, the other words in the Aramaic. I just know the Kepha word, right? So you are Kepha, and on this Kepha, I will build my church. And we've changed that to you are Cephas, and on this Kepha, we'll build our church, right? You are Peter, and on this Petros, on this rock, I will build my church. And now it's English. You're Peter, and on this rock, we'll build our church. It doesn't have the same meaning, right? It doesn't sound the same. But we have to, in this case, go back and hear the words. Jesus is changing Peter's identity, not just his name, his identity. You are the rock. You are their foundation, and the church will be built upon you, There's an intimate meaning behind this renaming, and it speaks to how much Jesus valued not only Simon Peter's faith, but his loyalty and his friendship. So Peter was the first disciple named in the New Testament, and he's with Jesus literally from the entire entire worldly ministry that Jesus is on. So Peter is a man who sees the miracles that Jesus performs. He hears the gospel preached. He sees Jesus transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. He encounters the holy in a way that not many other people in all of Scripture have. And then the story of Peter goes on because in the last hours of Jesus' life, Simon Peter turns his back on Jesus, the rock of the church, turns his back on Jesus. At dinner the night that Jesus would give up everything for you and I, he's having a great discussion with his disciples, right? And anytime you have dinner, there's usually joking and laughter and there's love at the dinner table. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, well, one of you is going to betray me. And all of them are like, is it me? Is it, I don't want to be that guy. Is it me? No, 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 no. It's not you. It's not you. But then he turns to his closest friend, to Simon Peter, to the rock of the church. And he says, tonight before the rooster crows three times, or before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. You can find that story in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 69 through 75. 
we can see that moment when Peter does what Jesus told him he was going to do, and we can see what happens. Let's read this together. It says, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I, I don't know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse upon himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So we remember and we know that Judas betrayed Jesus, right? So Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He gave Jesus away so that he could enrich himself. But in this moment, Simon Peter, the rock of the church, denies even knowing who Jesus is just to make sure that he doesn't get into trouble, right? He doesn't want to have any problems. He wants to save his own skin. So I, I don't know him. And not just once, but three different times. Have you ever been betrayed? I think most of us in this room can say, yeah, we've been betrayed. And I'm not talking like the kind of betrayal like in middle school when you're like, are you friends with Jimmy or are you friends with me? Like, I'm friends with Jimmy more than you. Like, oh, now my feelings are hurt. Like, that's a whole different kind of betrayal. I'm talking about deep betrayal where somebody has hurt you and taken a piece of you with them. Now imagine what it would feel like for Jesus, as he is in his last moments before his death, one of the most brutal deaths in all of human recorded history, and then the one person you love the most, the one that you hope that you could count on and rely on in that moment turns his back on you and denies even knowing who you are. The man that he had given a new identity to, the man who he had changed his name, the man who on the rock, on you, I'm going to build my church, turns his back on Jesus while Jesus was being beaten and spit on and called names. Peter walked away from Jesus and denied even knowing who he was. So I can't imagine how Jesus would have felt. Like I've been betrayed by people before and I've been you know, abandoned by people before, but I can't imagine that kind of betrayal. I can't imagine what Jesus would have felt, but I also, I can't imagine what Peter would have felt, right? Scripture says after he realized what had just happened, after the rooster crowed, he realized that what Jesus had told him was actually truth. He did betray Jesus three different times. And scripture says he went out and he wept bitterly. I imagine that Peter was heartbroken. What have I done? Then later on, Jesus' dead body is pulled down off the cross and he's laid in the tomb. And the disciples, including Peter, all kind of regroup 
in the place where they had dinner just a couple nights before. All the ones who were part of Jesus' closest circle, all of the disciples who abandoned him in his last moments, even Peter, the one who denied three times explicitly knowing who he was, they get together and they wait. They try to come up with a plan. What do we do now? How do we do life now that our Savior, our teacher, our Lord is dead? What do we do, right? And so they have this time between Monday, Thursday at that meal and then Good Friday when Jesus is nailed to the cross. Between that Friday and Sunday morning where they're sitting in this kind of in-between that is painful and hurtful and they feel lost and confused and then Easter happens. We see that the women encounter Jesus first. And when Mary Magdalene comes back and tells the disciples, Peter and John get up and they run to go see Jesus. And can you imagine the conflict that must have been happening inside of Peter in that moment? Like, I know that I've betrayed Jesus, but I've got to go and see him. I've got to fix what I've broken. And he shows up to a tomb. It's just, it's empty. The grave clothes are there, but the body of Christ is gone. So that moment where you think, I might have a second chance to just tell Jesus how sorry I am for turning my back on him. And when, when Peter shows up, Jesus isn't there. And each one of the Gospels relates a little bit different, the story of how Jesus reveals himself to him. But the story of John is I think the most powerful because there's the story of how Jesus reconciles the relationship between him and Peter. And we have to hear it because it is hope for us even now. So this story comes from John chapter 21, verses 1 through 25. And scripture tells us that afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened in this way, Simon Peter... Thomas, also known as Didymus, and Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not recognize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, only about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning, or sorry, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and he dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. 
This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is a disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Then the last verse, verse 25 in the book of John says this, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So we know that Peter had turned his back on Jesus. We know that Peter abandoned Jesus when Jesus needed him the most. We know that Peter regretted what he had done. We had heard that Jesus went out and he, or sorry, Peter had went out and he wept bitterly. And now we get to see Jesus once again showing up in the right way at the right time to heal the brokenness that we know Peter must have felt. It seems that after a certain amount of time, the disciples decided they couldn't, they couldn't just sit here and wait forever. We got to do something with our lives. And so they decide they're going to go out and fish, which I think fishing is probably the answer to a lot of life's woes. And, and so these disciples decide they're going to get up and they're going to go back to where they began, right? Jesus called a lot of his disciples from the shore. They were fishermen. And then they decide, well, we don't know what else to do. So we're going to go back to what we know. We're going to go back to fishing. And then as dawn is breaking and the boat is only about 100 yards off ashore, Jesus yells out, hey, did you guys do any good last night? And they say, no. Then Jesus says, well, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And, okay, so have you ever told a fisherman how to fish? Right? I have fished so many tournaments where I have caught absolutely zero and then you get back to the, the boat ramp with all your, your friends and your buddies, and they're all talking about, oh, how, how great the bite was and how big their bass were and what kind of lures they used. And you should have just done this, Matt. You would have caught so many other fish. And it's like, oh, I don't think so. Don't tell me how to fish. So I imagine the disciples probably felt a little bit of that, right? Like, I've been doing this for a while. I, it was a part of my life before. My dad fished. His dad fished. I fished for some before I went and followed Jesus. Who are you to tell me how to fish? But scripture doesn't talk about how they questioned it. 
just said, well, after they threw the net on the other side of the boat, they caught so many fish, they couldn't hardly haul the boat or haul the net into the boat. And immediately when John says, it is the Lord, Peter throws back on some sort of outer cloak because apparently fishermen back then fish in their underpants. And he dives into the water fully clothed and he swims as fast as he can to the shore. And it's Jesus standing there and he says to the disciples, let's eat some breakfast. There was a time, oh gosh, I was young in ministry and um, there was a really rough meeting that I went to at the church. It was an administrative council meeting. And friends, listen, when you really want to know the nitty and gritty of the church, you get involved with the different councils and committees. Sometimes it doesn't really look a lot like the church at all when you get into these committees and then arguments are raged about um, you know, finances or about policy and procedure. And there was one particular meeting where... Um, I had made a mistake in ministry that I was doing, um, and I got called out on it, and I said, listen, I am sorry. Uh, and the problem was they wanted to, to punish me by putting a whole big policy and procedure into place because they needed to teach me a lesson. And I said, guys, that's, that's, I get it. I made a mistake, and I apologize. It won't happen again, but there's no reason for us to like politicize this and make it like a big punitive thing. And they're like, oh, yeah, we do. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, fine. And so I, I dealt with it. And then after this meeting, I got a phone call. And this phone call was not very nice and talked about how, you know, sometimes you should just be quiet and just deal with the punishment that you get and just zip it. And so I went to my pastor and said, listen, I don't think that was a nice phone call. And he says, well, listen, why don't you go take her to lunch? And I'm like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. But sometimes I think all it takes is us to buy somebody a cup of coffee and sit down and have a conversation and we can heal a lot of brokenness, right? We can sit down for breakfast or for lunch or for dinner with people that we've had problems with. And I think a lot of times just the act of breaking bread together puts us in a whole different space where we're able to hear things maybe we weren't able to hear before. And Jesus in this moment invites the disciples, the people that abandoned him while he was dying on the cross for them to come and have breakfast. I think sometimes community best happens over a meal. And in this moment, Jesus invites his disciples for breakfast of fish and bread. I don't know that's a breakfast I've had much of. But they spend time in conversation, and it says when breakfast is over, Jesus asks Peter three different times, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, of course I love you. Peter, but do you really love me? Jesus, yes, I've told you once, yes, I love you. Peter, but do you love me more than anything? Peter's hurt. You know all things, Jesus. You know that I love you. And then Jesus says, all right, you've got a job to do. If you love me, you've got to take care of all of my sheep. My whole flock, I'm laying in your hands so that you can protect them and guide them and build the church that you have been called to build. So how many times did Jesus ask the same question? Three. 
How many times did Peter even know who Jesus, deny knowing even who Jesus was? It's this beautiful parallel where Peter has a time of repentance. Jesus, I love you and I'm sorry for what I've done. In this moment, we see Jesus is reinstating Peter into the ministry that he's been called to do. He is forgiving Peter for walking away from him when Jesus needed him the most. And that's what makes Jesus so special, right? Because Jesus could have totally written Peter off. Jesus totally, totally could have like, held that against Peter for the rest of his life. And he could have had this, this burning anger about the man who he thought was his best friend and then turned his back on him and walked away. Jesus could have replaced Peter with somebody else. He could have called somebody else and said, now you do what I asked Peter to do. But when Jesus could have just kicked Peter out of their fellowship, instead Jesus uses that time to teach Peter that this is what I expect of you. I'm redeeming you, so go and redeem others. I'm forgiving you, so go and forgive others. I'm reinstating you into the ministry that I'm calling you to. Now, don't be afraid to reinstate people who've made mistakes in the ministry that I'm calling them to also. This is who Jesus is, right? Over and over again, Jesus does the surprising things that change lives and bring about changes to the world. And this is what Jesus is trying to get all of us to do too. The kingdom of God doesn't look like condemnation. It doesn't like, look like retribution. It looks like confronting our hurts, meeting us in our pain, and restoring us to a state of worthiness that says, you are a child of God no matter what. Friends, when our kids make mistakes, we don't kick them out of the family. When our friends make mistakes, we don't say, you're no longer good enough. I'm taking back my last name. You can't even have my last name. We don't steal their identity. We lovingly correct them and we bring them back home. I want us to be the church that does that with the children of God too. That says, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter how bad you've been in your past, there is hope for a better tomorrow. And we will never kick you out. We're going to equip you to be the people that God has called you to be. Jesus wants us to be in service to him in spite of our faults, in spite of our broken pieces, in spite of our flaws. Jesus wants to restore us and allow us to play the role in the salvation of the world around us that he's called us to play. In the story arc of Peter, right? The rock on which God was going to build his church. Peter's story arc is living proof that no matter what, we are all called worthy of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Cornelia, Arnolda, Johanna, Corey Tenboom was born April 15th, 1892, and she died April 15th, 1983. Corey Tenboom was a Dutch Christian watchmaker and later a writer who worked with her father and her sisters to help many Jews escape from the Nazis during the Holocaust and World War II by hiding them in her home. She believed that her actions were following the will of God. They were caught, though, and she was arrested and sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp. Her most famous book, The Hiding Place, 
is a biography that recounts a story of her family's efforts and how she found and shared hope in God while she was imprisoned at the concentration camp. Seared by this time in her concentration camp, this trial by fire, Corey, her, her, her faith in God survived. So she ended up spending much of her time in the post-war years traveling in Germany and elsewhere in Europe, sharing her faith in Christ. On one occasion in 1947, while speaking in a church in Munich, she noticed a balding man in a gray overcoat near the rear of the basement room. She had been speaking on the subject of God's forgiveness, but her heart froze within her when she recognized the man. She could picture him as she had seen him so many times before in his blue Nazi uniform with a visored cap, the cruelest of the guards at the Ravensbrück camp where Corey had suffered the most horrible indignities and where her own sister had been killed. Yet here he was at that end of her talk, coming up the aisle toward her with his hand thrust out. Thank you for your fine message, he said. How wonderful it is to know that all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. Yes, Corey had said that. She had spoken so easily of God's forgiveness, but here was a man whom she despised and condemned with every fiber of her being. She couldn't take his hand. She couldn't extend forgiveness to this Nazi oppressor. She realized that this man didn't remember her. How could he remember one prisoner among so many others? You mentioned Ravensbrook, the man continued, his hand still extended. I was a guard there. I'm ashamed to admit it, but it's true. But since then, I've come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It has been hard for me to forgive myself for all the cruel things that I did, but I know that God has forgiven me. And please, if you would, I would like to hear from your lips that God has forgiven me. And in her book, Corey recorded her response. She says, I stood there, I whose sins had again and, and again been forgiven and could not forgive. It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the, the coldness clutching my heart and so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And that's the kind of forgiveness that God is calling each of us to. There is nothing better than forgiveness in the whole wide world, and Jesus offers it to us freely every time we turn our backs on him. To the people who have been lost, to the people who are broken, to the people who turn their backs on Jesus, Jesus forgives you and I are called to be like Jesus, right? So today and always, may each of us share the forgiveness with others that was offered to us so freely through Christ.
Let us be like Peter and confess our love for Jesus and live into our calling. Let us be like Corey Ten Boom and forgive even in the hardest moments we find ourselves confronting. Today and always, let us follow our Savior where we know he leads to complete and total forgiveness. Friends, let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that even at our worst, you see us and you pull us up from the pit of despair and the brokenness and you remake us the best. God, we thank you that you offer forgiveness even when we don't deserve it. Even when we turn our backs on it, you still freely offer to forgive our sins. Lord Jesus, help us to see that forgiveness in our own lives. Help us to recognize the freedom that it brings and help us to be a a people of freedom for all others in this world who seek the kind of reconciliation that only forgiveness brings. God, let forgiveness be easy on our lips. Let the example of this moment that Jesus had with Peter, this reinstating, this reconciliation, this forgiveness, let it be a story that brings us hope in every moment that we live. That even at our worst, there's still hope that you make us one with our God. You reconcile us to doing the work you called us to do. And you free us to bring forgiveness to our brothers and sisters. Lord Jesus, help us as Easter people to be people of forgiveness. Even in the moments where it hurts us the most, even when the moments that it's hard, even the moments that that look like this moment that Corey Ten Boom had with this soldier. Help us to be a people of forgiveness. God, we thank you for the forgiveness that you have offered us. Help us to accept that forgiveness and run like free people to shout your mercy at the top of our lungs to all corners of the earth. God, thank you for the hope that forgiveness brings. Thank you for the peace that forgiveness brings. And thank you for the joy that forgiveness brings. You are so good to us. God, help us to be good to others. As we ask in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us on today's Community Cast. We hope that you were blessed by today's conversation. If you'd like to know more about Community Brookside, please feel free to visit us at our website, communitybrookside.com, or find us on your favorite social media outlet. We hope to hear from you soon. Be blessed.